Hello, my name is Michelle O'Brien, and I will be having a conversation with Gia Love for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is April 11th, 2019, and this is being recorded at the Mid-Manhattan Library of the New York Public Library. Hello. Hello. Could you um, start off and introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Gia Love. Uh, <laughs> I am a person who is very centered around community um, and identity. I think that's very important to me. I like that to go wherever I am, who I am, what I've been through, and how it can inform the interactions I have and also the sense of empathy I have towards other people. Um, I think that's generally like the basis of who I am um, and like how I want to be perceived and how I want to be um, remembered. What are some communities that are particularly important to you? The communities that are particularly important to me, um, of course, are centered around my identity, but also around culture. I uh, am a member of the underground ballroom scene. Um, I'm an African-American. I'm an African-American woman. I'm an African-American trans woman. Um, I'm a descendant of slaves. Um, I am a woman. Um, those are um, all, um, oh, I, I love to party, so the party scene. <laughs> those are all the art scene, you know, the art community. Those are all um, pieces of me that um, I allow my life to speak through. Um, well, let's uh, make sure to talk about all of those communities. Yeah, and yeah Talking to them. I want, yeah, I'm excited. Maybe um, starting off, going back in time, tell me, you said, you talked about being uh, this, your ancestors being slaves. Right. Tell me about what you know about your ancestry and where your people came from. So, I don't know much. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything, actually, about, like, where my people come from or, like, stories of like the past. I just know like what we were taught in school and what I've learned through my own experiences and teachings. Uh, so I do of course know that I am um, African. Um, I'm from that continent. Um, but the reason I got here was through the slave trade. Um, and um, particularly like around like family history and stuff like that. I have a very small family, um, and my immediate family composed of my um, birth family. So like, and like, we don't really have a lot of family. So I don't really know like like where we come from or much anything about like my family past or lineage. Mm -hmm. Did do you know when your family moved to New York City and where they moved so, from? So all right, so I do know that my family's from Brooklyn. Right? My grandmother, it's like, you know, in my family, we really never had those conversations. Like, they're always like, 
there, um, they happen randomly. So like, I don't remember, right? There's no significance behind them. It seems like it was a lot of trauma for my family, like my grandmother. Um, I know like basically my family, I think, like, I don't know for a fact, but this is what, it is a fact. Like my mom, this is what my mother tells me. Like we have a biracial family um, going back. I don't, everyone's multiracial, but like I don't really consider myself biracial. But like back, like going like my great grandmother and back, like like it's more white and black. I'm um, very and very um, black past white passing black people. So there was a lot of like race issues internally within my family. I mean, that's a large reason why like people don't speak about stuff, like the trauma behind, like, you know, like probably not being accepted by your family because of the color of your skin, also not being accepted by society because of the color of your skin. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's like my great grandmother and then my grandmother had a sister and um, I don't know much about her or her family. And then my grandmother, I don't know much about my grandmother. I was raised by my grandmother, but she didn't talk much about her story. Um, so I don't know much about her like life or like or what she's been through or like, like some stuff about her. She passed away when I was probably like 13, 12, 13. So, um, yeah, it's like really a lot of unknown, even like, you know, on the larger scale, like ancestry wise, but also in terms of my birth family, like, it's like, I can't even really give you like really concrete um, narratives about my family lineage because I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people whose family have dealt with different kinds of trauma, right. you know, don't talk about Right, 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 right. and I could see it like how even like in if I go to like my like in my generation like you know I know a lot about my mother. My mother's very uh, she shares a lot, so I know a lot about her story. But um, then she has my mother has five children, Um, and you know we were kind of raised together, but. Yeah, it's like we all kind of we we live different lives, so and we don't couldn't connect them. So even like the way like my nephew, like my I have a nephew, like I don't really know much about him, or like what he does, or like stuff like that. So family is not thought like the center of that unit, right? Like the idea of family, the concept of family is not the center of my family unit. You mentioned about learning about the history of slavery in school. Right. And um, do you remember some of how, when you were a kid, learning about black history and black struggle yes. has uh, shaped you or yes. contributed to your thinking? So, like, I just remember, like, really being angry at some of the images and, like, the experiences that people during like the back in those times we're going through 
just because of like the color of their skin. Like that concept to me as a child was so like, just because I'm like a person, like you're gonna like like treat me like crap. Um, and it was always in conversation with like kind of being proud of being black in a way. I think that, um, I don't know, like, I guess, like, the way, like, our school did it or, like, like my memory of it was you would learn about, like, the struggles, but then you also, like, have the same conversations about people like Martin Luther King, people like Michael Metz in conversation with the struggle. So it kind of gave you hope and also, like, some light during, like, a really dark time for a group of people. Uh, and... It was just like an amazing, it was a great, it was a, at the time it was like really great experience. Like it was like my best times in school was like learning about black history. Right. It was affirming. Um, It was also like, it was one of the, it was relatable. Like even though like I wasn't like alive during those times, it was relatable in that it was people like me um, it was kind of like pride, right? Being proud of who you are, being proud of the struggles people um, like you have overcome um, to get to like where we are in such a short period of time, right? How resilient people are, black people are. So even at a very young age, that was an observation I was able to make. And even though like the, the history that you learn in schools is not really extensive, um, it was enough for me to just be proud and really affirm who I was, who I am. What was the neighborhood you grew up in and what was it like? I grew up in like the Morrisania section of the Bronx. Uh, that's like the general area, but specifically like Forest Projects, Prospect area. Um, my upbringing is interesting. To be very honest, like generally speaking, like I really had uh, an interesting upbringing, so I don't really talk a lot. I don't have a great memory. I have a memory of the the, the 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 main events, but like the people and stuff like that. Like I meet people from when I was little, and I don't remember their names, right? But um, growing up, like I grew up in the nineties. That's like for me, in the nineties, yeah. right? Ninety. I was born in nineties, so. It was a great time. It was like being a child, like I didn't have worries. I just don't remember having many worries, you know what I mean? Um, great music. I didn't know much about the world, but it was just like going to the park, learning how to ride a bike, <laughs> you know, those things. And um, I enjoyed generally my childhood. I think that, uh, Generally, I enjoyed it. I think a lot of conflict was not anything I can control that I like experienced as a child or any any issues that I had. But I just remember like waking up, going to Twenty Three Park, playing with like people. Um, you know, yeah. It was. I I think I had a, a decent childhood. How did your parents spend their time, or who were the adults living in your home? So when I grew up, um, my mom, so I grew up actually, so 
I grew up, that's where I grew up. But when we were young, we were, we went to foster care. I can't remember how long we went to foster care for, um, my siblings and I, um, but we went to foster care and in that time, um, like the, the foster family, it was, there was a mother and a father. Um, and you know, that was, you know, I didn't like being there. And I feel like that's like the first, like, I did have a good childhood, I would say. Just like, cause I feel like when you're a child, you know, um, when you're a child, I don't, you don't have many worries. Like, you don't, you don't, I just didn't ask for much. And I still don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't ask for much. So, you know, when I think of, and also like, I think it's a hard question for me to answer because like, I'm just so familiar with like, people who expect kids being taste separated from their families at the border and stuff like that. So when I think of my childhood, like, I just, I can't even, you know what I mean? Like, think at, think about, like, the bad parts. Because I think about them, but I think it was, like, compared to, like, some of the experiences some young people are experiencing today. I think, like, you know, I had no worries for the most part. Um, yes, that we struggled, but generally there were no worries. Um, but back to, like, the foster care. So we were raised in foster care for a few years. And that was really hard for me. Um, and because it's like we were taken away from your mother. My mother, like, my father was not in the picture. but And, I like, that was, like, really, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Out of all my siblings, like, I just, I, it never sat well with me. I never really adjusted to that, and I could not wait to go home. We went home, and then we went to Prospect, like, that area, and um, I guess, like, if I was to talk about some of the issues I dealt with as a child, it was always uh, issues of, like, my gender or, like, my sexuality, um, it was issues of, like, you know, like, I felt more comfortable, like, with girls, but, like, people felt like I shouldn't, like, be with them, or, like, I felt more comfortable with girl things, people, things that people would consider little girl things, but, like, I didn't get them, so I guess, like, a lot of my, like, happiness or validation, like, you know, appreciation or from others, like, that, that was always a void as a child because my actual identity and who I was was never, it was never addressed or supported. And um, from, like, like adults. My sister, however, my sister is, like, a butch lesbian, um, and we used to, like, share toys, like, you'll trade them. So, like... I was still able to like, you know, you know, do my do what I needed to do, you know. Like when my mother was at home, like I would dress up in her clothes, walk around with her heels on and her purse, and put like a like a um, towel on my head or put her wigs on. My mother loves wigs, so I would put her wigs on, um, playing her makeup, like stuff like that. And I think those were like good times. Those were good times. Um, 
when I went when I would go in the street though, I like I would say like I enjoyed like I enjoyed a lot of bullying growing up, but my story is like a little different because like like I'm the type of person that like don't mess with me, I'll mess with you. If you mess with me, I'm a mess with you. So I guess like that was like my story like all the time growing up. Like I had a lot of fights. I had to fight a lot. Like I had to fight a lot. And then like on one hand, like in the community I grew up with, like if you know how to fight, you were like praised. So it was like not a bad thing in my community, but I didn't want to fight. You know what I mean? Like and it was like a constant thing. Like I, it became like normal to me. Like and it also became a distraction, right? Because as a child, being that I was so feminine and so um, I expressed myself in a, in a girly way, um, when I could fight and show them I was big and tough, they didn't bother me. So it was a defense mechanism um, at times. And it was um, growing up, like, I have siblings who are very close in age to me. Um, so... You know, I like have I fight my brothers, I fight, fight my little sister. So we all, but we all like still like defended each other. So it was like we have a small family. We had no choice. You know, other people, I call my cousins, go get my cousins, and we didn't have that. So it was like just like defending yourself, defending who you are is just something I've been doing all my life. And I feel like a lot of people who identify with me, especially growing up in like inner cities. Like, you have to. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, not an option, right? It's, like, it's many different options, but it's, like, I would rather, like, people bully me and me beat the crap out of them than people bully me and then I internalize that and try to hurt myself. So, like, that was just, like, my life, like, my childhood was a lot of that. Um, My childhood was, I think that, like, my, I needed a lot because of, like, you know, I felt alone a lot um, in the sense that, like, I kind of had support, but I feel like if I wasn't who I was, I would have had the support, but because my existence was being neglected, I felt alone. Like, how could I actualize these feelings I'm having? Like, I want to, this is what I am. I just I remember like being young and like I had this like this was this boy in the park and <laughs> my name that my mom named me is a like a very I, I would consider it a girl's name. So everyone knew my name, that was my name. And um he was like, You have a girl's name and I was like, I am a girl. And he was like, oh, I think you're cute. And he kissed me. <laughs> and then <laughs> he told his brother he kissed me. And his brother was older. So his brother was like, that is not a girl. <laughs> and that was another thing. He never spoke to me. This boy has never spoke to me a day after that. Day. This was like five years old, mind you, like really little. And then um, so it was just that conflict, that conflict of, just like support, being supportive of who I am, find having support externally. Because as a child, 
like you need a lot of reinforcement like reinforcements like to help build that character that is going to be very useful when you get older and that was something i was being neglected um with the who i am and my and uh, the authentic in my uh, um of my authentic self um and it was um yeah, it was like until we were, we like, we, yeah, that was like my thing. Like, so it was like backtracking. Like, I was a fighter. Like, like it, and that's like a part of me that like I was ashamed. I'm like kind of ashamed of because like I'm known like as like a kid fighter. I was never a bully though. I was never a bully. I would always bully bullies. If I did bully people, I would bully the people who was bully and like, like, bully like kids who didn't have the firepower that I had. But or like, it's not even bully because it wasn't a bully situation. It was like, okay, I'm gonna test you. Let's test. So you're gonna test you. You're gonna have a rival now. I'm gonna battle you. Let's let's do this. Um, and I think that because of that, because like none of my, like because I wasn't being nurtured. I think that, it, like, my family saw me as, as me acting, not my, my family, teachers saw it as I'm acting out. Because, like, something's not making sense, and I am acting out because, like, who I am is not being appreciated, right? So I am acting out, but it's not because I'm, not, like, no, not normal or anything. It's because, like, you're neglecting me, like, I'm invisible. Like, I need to be visible. So the only way I could be visible was to act out, right? And be viewed as a strong person, powerful person, person in control. So these are like things that like as a child were a part of like my story. Um, and when I was like what, second grade, um, I, I was held back. Because I don't know why I was held back. I think I used to get suspended a lot. Like even in the second grade, I used to get suspended a lot. And that because of those suspensions, I was held back. And then when they, my when we moved, like I moved to another school because I moved to another area. They ended up putting me in special ed. Like and like that, I was young. I was like nine. I didn't know what that. Like I didn't know what was gonna happen. I knew it was different, um, and that was, like, horrible for me. Because I felt like a lot of times, like, I would go into spaces, and I, like, generally, like, I'm, like, a, I'm reserved. Like, I have a great, like, an outgoing personality, but I typically would be to myself. But people would, like, at that time would acknowledge, like, that feminine side of me, and they would use that to bully me. So it was, like, not only now am I going to be getting bullied because I'm feminine, now I'm going to be getting bullied because I'm in special ed. So then now that's it was just like more like now let's bring it now I'm gonna show you guys crazy y'all think I'm crazy watch this so I used to, I remember like times in school like it was like one time I was like fifth grade like I had a fight and I literally remember the feeling of the teacher was trying to hold me back and I remember in my head I'm like oh you want to see a bitch go crazy I'm just like I'm acting it's not really what I want to do it's not how I feel. Like, literally inside, I'm laughing because I'm like, I, this is not me, but let me just show talk. I'm going to show you talk. Get off me. Get off me. Probably little, like, not doing it. Let's like, get off me. 
Like the thing was when they would restrain you to just bug out, like just to like show how big you were. Um, and like that was like a story, like generally of my childhood. Um, I wasn't like the person who um, I wasn't a child who I think like a lot of people who um, are queer and like on the spectrum and in the spectrum of being queer. Uh, on the spectrum of being queer, they like are subjects of sexual abuse. Um, I wouldn't say I was, um, uh, and I wouldn't say that like I was explored. Like I would explore that either. Like that wasn't me. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't looking to explore my sexuality um, or looking as a child, like looking to explore. Like you know, that wasn't me. And I was, like, the kid who, like, people would try to do stuff like that, and I would run, or I would make a big fuss out about it. So then they learned, like, okay, don't, not, don't, don't bother with her. And, um, yeah, so, like, that was, like, the, like, childhood. It was a lot of conflict. It was, like, discovery, like, it was like like showing myself I'm being who I'm not, and it was like really consistent for a lot of the years to try to find myself, and I wasn't able to find myself until I was able to. I was in this. I found myself. It was all of this, like I just explained to you, was literally probably third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, like four years of straight bowing out, like I was bugging out. I would always do my work though, but I just I would be the type of finish my work because like when you're, when you're in special ed, they give you like the easiest work. <laughs> so I would like, and then you learn the same thing over and over and over and over. So I would finish my work and then bug out. I would terrorize the whole class. So that was just like you giving me the easy work. I'm gonna finish it quick and I'm gonna bug out. So then, what was my life savior? Was I was like. This teacher, like, was like, oh, we having a debate team, and I love an argument. I always love to argue for my point, say my perspective. Like, I was always down for a verbal or physical altercation. So I joined the debate team, and that literally changed my life. Like, um, I think that because I was especially red. Like, my academic levels would never increase because of the, the class. Like, everyone's on totally different levels, so they're not teaching you new things. I, like, literally wasn't learning. So once I joined debate, like, I, st- I like started reading on a high school level, like, in months. After, like, just reading, like, different things, learning how to construct the argument, like, learning new vocabulary. Um, and it was some... And I and I, I took the initiative and joined the debate team. Like, it, was some, it wasn't even, like, someone's... Like advice, like I just was like, I need to, I want to argue. I love it to debate, like that's like me. So debate, once I started doing debate, I like changed my whole perspective. I stopped being a bad bitch. I didn't need to be big and bad. Why? Because I was good at something else. And I was always a kid who wanted like to do things. I wanted people to invest in me, right? When you're when you're like, I was always one who would try new things, but I didn't have the backing of people trying to like, you know, get me involved. I remember I tried to do tennis when I was really little. Didn't work out. Then I tried to do um, 
like little sports here and there. That's never really worked out. But debate, like I was like, great. It was all things that people wanted me to do. So my mother would take me to basketball. I am one to that. Y'all wanted you to take me to tennis. I love tennis. That's not that's nothing. But you you didn't she didn't take me to tennis. She took me to basketball. I don't want to do basketball. I wanted to do tennis. So it was like the things that I wanted to do were never supported. And with debate, I was the bomb. Like I was like, it was like same frustration, like proving who I am. Like it was all that, but it was verbal in a positive, constructive way. Um, so it was like, I didn't need to be a fighter. I didn't need to fight you to, you know, prove a point. I'm good. Actually, let me debate. So I like really started, I started selling that. Um, and then I was like, I cannot, I have to, I have to like, honestly, no one, like a lot of times people get you in situations and they don't look to getting you out of them. So I was like, you know, I can't be like, I can't be in special ed when I go to high school. I was just like, I cannot do that. So seventh grade, that seventh grade year, I talked to my guidance counselor. She was like, Gia, we're going to get you out. So long story short, I ended up getting out in the eighth grade. Like half, what was it half? I feel like half I was in or like half, like they did like a thing with me. I think for the first minute. I think, like, for the first part, I, like, probably was in the whole thing. But then, like, the second part, I was, like, half day with them and a half day with the. And it was so funny because I was in the, like, advanced, advanced eighth grade class for when I was in the general education class. But then they would send me to special education class. <laughs> then the second semester, I was all in this, like, the general education class. Um, I just was good. I was, like, out of it. So I went to high school. I proceeded with debate. Um, you know that was a that high, debate was like a major part of my high school. Like that was like debate was. I was, I was in it. And then like once I started to, this is more like local when I was in middle school. But then when I got to like debate culture, it's like deep. I don't know if you know about it, but like it's intense. Right, and I'm very competitive, and like, yo, like I've had some experiences, and it was like really, um, it was just me, like you go in a space, you're not wanted, you're different, and you're just like pushing through. It was like debate is a very white male uh, policy debate, specifically white men, like white boys, because at that time it was kids. Is no like it's not a lot of girls. Girl, girls do participate, but it's not a lot. It's not a lot of diversity at the time I was doing it in politics, debate, especially on a national level. Like I remember one time walking into a debate tournament and literally the whole cafeteria was like this and turned around. Like and it was like, oh no, what did I do? Um, but it was just really thrilling to like really go in debate rounds, like really not have the support, not have the schools backing you. Not, like, that was like when I learned like there was a disparity, an income disparity. Like everyone was not treated the same. Everyone's life was not valued. That's when I learned that in debate. Because you have these kids in the inner city who you would think maybe need more resources because like my mom doesn't make six figures. So maybe I need more resources from the government to help me, you know, become a productive citizen and also to like thrive and be successful 
but we would get I'm getting less resources um, and then you have to make what, what you have so like just like my success and debate like I was very successful um, given the odds that I um, had you know, I've been all over the country with debate first time I traveled was for debate I met some some lifelong friends in debate uh, debate was really like a life changer for me it was where I first got introduced to the LGBT community through debate, like as a community, you know, as like an organized community with positive, you know, um, influences, if you will. Because before that, of course, I was introduced to the LGBT community, but I it was like propaganda. So this is like positive role models. Um, what the community is, like, for what it is, not from, like, an outside looking in. That's why I don't speak bad about the community, because I, like, the way I, I could see, based on society, the way society is, you know, when you, like, a lot of people come from the community, like, outsiders looking in, and then they come in the community, so, like, they kind of have a lot of stigma. I don't have the stigma, because, like, the people that brought me in the community were, like, so uplifting, and so I know that the community is diverse, like, everyone else. Every other community, right? You're going to have some jackasses, but you're going to have some beautiful people. And, like, but the, you know, it's not just one lump sum of, like, what people would want the community to be. Um, and just debate, just to emphasize, really opened my eyes up to being worldly. One of the biggest, like, impacts of debate is uh, one year we were just having a topic. We had varying topics. And it was like cosmopolitanism, right? Um, just like that idea was just so open. Like I was just like, that's me. I'm a cosmopolitan, right? I'm open. I, I'm a worldly person. I'm a worldly person. I want to experience the world. I want to experience cultures. I want to be open-minded, right? That's me. Debate taught me that. Also, debate taught me how to look at be open-minded and, you know, listen, I'm very, like, I don't want to listen sometimes. I feel like some people's logic is, like, not, you know, the best in my interest, right, for my self-interest. But I, it taught me how to, like, debate both sides of an argument, right, and really critically analyze, like, you know, if you say, like, for example, we could debate um, reproductive health, right? I don't have to say that, I don't have to say, it's not just yay or nay. There's other ways to defeating an argument than just, I'm for abortion, I'm against abortion. There's other ways. You don't have to just go that route. Debate taught me how to look at the world as a very dynamic um, space where you could take different approaches to get into a goal or to a point. I could say, oh, no, reproductive health is good, but the way you go about that is bad. I don't like the way you go about it. Let's go about that another way. So um, that was just like, that was me. And I feel like in that time, because of my childhood and I didn't really have a lot of um, like support around who I was, I developed a lot of insecurities um, you know, that I let like dating and like intimacy and like stuff like that that's absent from like I like I can't really talk about that um even though I was a child but what I mean is like 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 
affection. I, I think that because I was taken away from my mother at a young age, um, I, I never let my mother kiss me. That was like a thing. Like I even to this day, like if she goes to kiss me, I cannot. I don't know what I know. It has to do with that. I can't let her kiss me. Is it something like I could hug her? It's just the kissing thing. I can't do. Um, so that was just like my teens. You know, it was just I always been trying to find like my my like my life has been like trying to get involved in things, trying to find a space to feel safe and like be appreciated. Um, and even though debate had its like issues, you know, like racism, sexism. Well, uh, I really didn't experience homophobia and transphobia there homophobia at the time in that space I don't really remember but it was just like since it was like thought it was just like so I had great experiences it was the first time I felt validated like and enough that was the first time I felt like I was enough I like you know of course like you know I, I wish I went to like one of them I went to like one of them rich schools and like was educated there and had the resources they had I probably would have been a national champion you know what I mean um, but I never let that, um, I was embittered by that because I did very well. Um, and I feel like, like a lot of, like what I like, the, how I approach life today is because of a lot of like the, like just going in a debate around negotiating, like, and like also wanting to be better, wanting to be successful, like literally comp- competition. I remember one time, like this guy, like I went nuts, like. We, I was debating in Harvard at a Harvard debate tournament, and I thought I was going to get kicked out. It was so passionate. Like, he voted against me, but I clearly won. Like, it's like you can determine, like, I, I we, like, like, we won. And they voted against me, and I lashed out. Like, uh, I was inappropriate. I'm not going to, like, I was wrong. And I was like, yeah. I was really upset. It was that, it meant so much to me. And I could see, like, why it meant so much to me. Like, a lot of us kids in debate came from, like, the inner city. Like, like, we didn't have any sense of validation or worthiness in that sphere. So it was, like, to be there and to not be, like, you know, to not be treated fairly was, like, really, like, a, a, like a, a stab, you know, and, like, how we were trying to, like, live our lives and stuff. Like, it was great. Tell me about uh, getting to be joining into queer community. So basically, for some, I don't know, like in the Urban Debate League, I was a part of the New York Urban Debate League, um, NYUDL, and it was a lot of gays, <laughs> like a lot. So I was like really young. So when I first joined, I wasn't old enough to like even, to me, like I wasn't, because like when I was young, I did like girls, but I feel like I liked them because I was told I I was supposed to like them. And then also, I feel like also there's an innocence when you're young. No one knows who they really like, and I like the people. I like their personality, you know what I mean? So it was not about a gender thing. It was like, oh, like, you know, there was boys I liked too, but th- this is a girl. I like her. She's sweet, cool. But it was like... I met gay people and they were in high school. I was in middle school. So it was like, oh, <laughs> like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
And it was like people like me, like in debate, and they were like, it was a person, his name was Lamar. He was in debate, and he was also in the ballroom scene. So he used to be talking about Vulcan and everything. So, like, we started watching clips. Like, we had a little click. He was watching clips. Like, everyone was by in the clip. The girls were by, the boys were by, everyone, we all were by. And <laughs> that's like the transition to, like, for us, it was a transition. To like, you know, being like, it, it was a transition point to get into where we are today. So basically, he was talking about Vogan and like about Legend. There was like another thing like, oh, like, wow. Like, I feel like sometimes, even though in debate, the piece of me that I felt like was never really, like, that same piece that was being neglected as a child, like, who I am. Like, me, like, that intimacy, like, the beauty, like, you know, all of that, like, that fire was not being addressed. So, I'm like, I want to take me. So, he took me to the village, the pier, for the first time. It was, I remember just, like, seeing, like, like, I was like, my eyes were wide open. Like, I learned, like, like, I seen so much. I seen life. Like, that was life. You go, like, back in that day, not anymore, but back when I first went to the pier at 14 years old, you go to the pier, life is, like, smacking you in the face. Um, and not a, in a bad way. It was just like, okay, this is the lifestyle. Because they always talk about the life. Like, and I never knew what they meant by that. And I don't think they meant what I seen. But, like, if I had to, they talked about, the like, like the, the straights. They would say, you in the life? That used to be a term. Like, and my mother's friends used to be like, oh, he's in the life. Daniel's in the life. That's basically he's gay. When they said that, I went to the village at 14. I'm like, oh, this is the life. <laughs> the sex toys, like the people, the trans women, like the like lesbians, like various gender expressions. It was just like, oh, like it just smacked me in the face that day. And I was like, I need more. That was the part that was being neglected. And this community, the ballroom community, then the LGBT community, because my my connection to the LGBT community is through ballroom. Um, I've been a part of that community longer than like debate. I stopped. Um, you know, I stopped debate, I stopped I was, like tennis, I, I started playing tennis at one point after debate, like I kind of dwindled with debate and I was like, oh tennis. I really got into tennis. Um, you know, I met, I started ballroom and I, I never could, um, I'd always question myself, like, why am I still around in ballroom? Even though, like, I don't walk as much as I used to, even walking, like, participating, even though I don't, like, do as much as I'd be active as much as why am I? Because ballroom, the center piece of ballroom is a family. And that is something that I never felt like I had, even with my family. So it was like, I can't go anywhere because the pieces of me that were never addressed, in spite of like all the successes I've had and like the places that opportunities I've had, they were never addressed. And the ballroom scene, the LGBTQ community, for me, um, addressed those like voids. Um, and I filled those voids that I had growing up. And that was always nagging pain. Um, like, I don't know who I am, right? I was able to really explore who I am and come to a conclusion as to who I am in the community. 
Uh, and that was so powerful, like the experience of um, just like determining who I am. Cause I, for so long I didn't know. And like, I felt one way, but you're, you're telling me otherwise. And you're making me believe otherwise and making me fear what I feel because I'm getting in trouble for expressing myself. So, yeah, the LGBT community, I was introduced through Lamar. And Lamar was a part of the ball and scene, brought me to my first ball. I didn't start participating until I met my friend Genovia in high school. So in high school, she was like, she she got introduced to the ball and scene on her own. She's a dancer. And we, like, are both, like, I feel like we needed each other to come together to, like, the ballroom scene cut though is like a lot of people who have a severe trauma coming together to live their life and live in in a sense in fantasy, right? Would they actually want to experience the feelings that they want to experience on a daily basis in their life? They can experience in the ballroom scene, and I feel like we needed each other because we both came from like being you know, acclaimed in other spaces. So we was like, we want to be in this space, but maybe this is not for us. So we like joined together and we bonded a sisterhood and we entered the ballroom scene and that was all she wrote. I've been a member um, for like, maybe like 10, no, not 10 years, like seven years. I've been like a part of like, no, maybe like eight. Yeah, like I was like nine, nine, even nine. We were high, not even 10. We started when we were 17. Because the debate and all of that were overlapping. Like everything was just like overlapping. I was dwindling with the debate and the tennis and then I started to do the ball. So like 11 years I've been a part of the community. Um, and I feel like this is the community like the, for me. Like this is the space for me. What is family like in the ballroom scene? Family is complicated. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of pain. Um, but there's always, um, I think there's always understanding and there's a, uh, there's always somebody in the unit who has like the, uh, this sense of empathy that is unmatched and this ability to like reach people that need to be reached. I think everyone deals with trauma differently, uh, but it's important that you know you have leadership um, and also guidance, and also like sometimes a person who can you can speak to about like your issues that you love, right? That I think that's important. Sometimes they say therapy. Therapy is important and it's great, but sometimes you want to open up to people who you care about. And I feel like the ballroom scene, like my community and like the house, like, you know, unit has basically been that support system for me. Um, you know, like when I spend Christmas, like holidays with them, I, I like, you know, I do so much with them, you know, like my life is, you know, centered like around, that's my family. So um, it's just like a loving, it's complicated at times. You get hurt, but that's what we go through in family, right? Did you, um, 
What was the first house you joined? So the first house I joined was the House of McQueen and the Kiki scene. And then when I joined the House of McQueen, I was young and I was kind of like, I wanted to be a McQueen because McQueen was the, it was the, I'm going to use like our lingo. It was like the fabulous house. It was the house that everyone wanted to be in, right? Um, and I wanted to like, I was like, I'm fab, so I need to be in the fab. <laughs> so I joined the House of McQueen, and after I left the House of McQueen, because they were starting to like dwindle and like die out, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go with my friends. I'm gonna go with my friends. So my friends were all in the House of Bacardi. And then after I joined the, the House of Bacardi, um, I was in college, and um, basically, um, I stopped, I stopped, you know, I stopped. I, I, I won't say stop. I left, I'm trying to use our lingo. I left the house of Bacardi because basically they didn't want to make me a mother of the house. They actually made me the mother, but it was like so much internal conflict about that. So like, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave and I'm going to take the strongest member with me, which was Genovia, my best friend. I basically took her with me and we joined the house of Louboutin and we, I like, was like, I negotiated, like, you know, she's going to be the mother of this house. Uh, I, that's the only way we're, co- we're coming. If she's the mother, then we come. If she's not the mother, then we don't come. And she was the mother. And then um, I left Louboutin for, like, interpersonal reasons with the upper member. I didn't actually even want to be there, but I, like, wanted to, I was just there, whatever. And then I joined the House of Juicy, and that's been my house for, like, that's, that's my family. The juicies. I found my family. Sometimes in the boardroom scene, you have to jump around. <laughs> some people jump around. Some people don't, like, sit down. Some people never, like, you know, it's okay. But, the it, like, the juicies are my family. How were these houses different from each other? Um, I think that, like, the House of McQueen, for me, like... Well, what I would say is, I can't answer that question because every house is different, right? But the house of Juicy versus all the other houses is that, like, I actually have intimate, personal, deep connections in life. Like, one of my best friends, who was also a Juicy, died. Um, a few, actually. So it's like, during those moments, we consult each other. We have annual cookouts. So it's like these memories, right? Absence of, like... You know, I'm 28 years old. Like, I don't have a family on my own. Like, you know, my own little family. So it's like, this is my family. So it's just so connecting. It's like the love that I want from people, I get it from them. I didn't get that in the other houses. It was more about the competition. It was more about the competition. It was more about, um, like, the actual ballroom scene component of it. And this is the family. And I feel like and Louboutin and all those, that's family for other people. It just was a my family. Juicy is my family. What are balls like? Balls are, balls, balls are interesting. I hate balls, actually. They're just, I'm like, like I get anxiety, like, and I have to be intoxicated to go because I get anxiety. And then there's like a lot of like a lot going on. So then it ends up, you know, it's just like, I don't really like the balls. Like, but I like the scene. You understand what I'm saying? I don't go to balls. Like, I'm not really a ball goer. 
but um, I do like the scene and the community of it. Like, I don't know, and it sounds weird, but like you know, like we have like clubs we go to or ball juice. You know, I do go to balls, but balls are very competitive. You know, it's cutthroat sometimes with people. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really a fan of the balls. I prefer just like the actual experience of the totality, the totality of the experience versus just like, because ballroom is not just the ball. And I think that like, just like people think like voguing is ball, like the ball or voguing is the ball. The ball is like so like more complex than just the vogue and more interesting than just that. But um, I, the balls, I could do without. What was, uh, what's your role? Oh, I'm the queen mother of the House of Juicy. And I, um, I don't really have a role anymore because like I'm like kind of like a, like I'm a legend. So basically like, you know, I did my, you know, dues, I paid my time. I walked on many balls, won many balls. So now I'm just like, you know, like, I'm just around. I'm in the, I'm there for the family. Like that's my involvement. I still go, I still walk sometimes, not as much as I used to, um, but I'm like, at least to acknowledge me as a mother because basically like when I was a mother I had such a um, you know some people mothers come and go but my mother like my mothership was like really impactful on the house we won I believe if I'm not mistaken we won our first a thousand dollar grand prize when I was a mother of the house and I was like really instrumental in that win like you know I really helped the house prepare really for that, so basically, and you know, I've just been there for a long time, so I'm still the mother of the house as well, but you know, there's other mothers as well. What does a mother do? So I'm just a, a mother, it's just like a title, right? Some mothers are there just to walk walls, right? Some mothers are there to be actually support. Some mothers are there to get down and nitty gritty, prepare kids to walk. Some mothers do both. Some mothers don't speak to nobody. It's just like, they just actually, they're not really there to really for the family. They're there because they're the mother and they have a job to do on the floor. So like the ballroom scene has like both layers, like that competitive version and also like family, the family side of it. Um, my role was more on the family side of it with a large impact on the competitive side as well, but that's why I stick around because of the family. Tell me about some of the balls you won. Um, so the best time, like I'll tell you about, I'm gonna try to go right. So my, when I first started walking, I walked, I walked on Butch Queen runway. So like that's just like gay men walking runway at the time. And like, that wasn't really my thing. I'm not gonna lie. But like, that's like all I knew how to do. Like when I was like, cause I was like a boy and I didn't know how to do, I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know how to do much. So I was like, that's not my thing. So basically I walked that and when I, when I like I won a lot when when I was did that. But I can't even really think of a memorable time because I didn't really want to do it. Um, but 
If I had the most memorable was when I had my team. I had a team and we did like a black swan, futuristic black swan. So like I wore like um a like see-through, like a see-through um like like ballerina dress. And it was like kind of like, you know, like flipping and all of that. And I had on like these like platform, um like up the leg like dominatrix boots. And I had on like this shortcut wig. Like I looked really, really cute. But I had nothing on under. I had it on like aft only. So like if the way I had it, it looked like I was like completely nude and I have thick thighs. So like you couldn't see anything. But the the reason why it's so memorable because we we won that night actually. And Chi Chi, I battled Chi Chi that night and I won because we bat you know, I we were rivals and he had a team and I had a team and I beat him that night for the grand prize. And um basically it was in a basketball gym, so it was like a bunch of guys like downstairs. So when I came up, to, like I was coming up the stairs to come and walk, like and I'm in my zone, and like it was like just like mad guys, there. and they looked and they like seen like like everything out, like and they was just like what. <laughs> um, but most of my like memorable moments had to be like I really like so it was this category of realness, um, and I dominated that category like. In my time, like for this, like the last generation, I am like the, like I'm the realness queen, if you will. Like I've won repeatedly, I've been undefeated. Like there's very few people have sat me. Like if I've walked a hundred balls, I probably lost three. If that was like it was like really like that type of ratio. But my most memorable one is I cut all my hair off, and I had like a shortcut season. Um, and I had like these big earrings and I just came back from Atlanta and it was for like $500 and it was like a major ball. Like the ball itself was for $2,000, but it was points that got you the $2,000, but like the categories and I didn't even come to walk. I came to help people and I wasn't going to walk because I was kind of insecure that my hair was like, I didn't have hair on my head, but I was, I didn't have earrings on. Someone gave me earrings and I took two shots of Hennessy and I was like, oh. Fabulous bitch in this place right now, baby. Watch me work. I got I just got on the stage. And all, I didn't even know it was for five hundred dollars. And then all of a sudden they said, "Grandpa, she, like I won the whole thing." And then um, Courtney, who was like the over, like she's like the founding mother. She like she's like she you won five hundred dollars. Oh, like, oh my god, I needed that five hundred so bad. I was doing so bad at the time, money wise. And it was just like that was like that has to be my fondest win. What does it take to win realness? What does it take? It takes a lot of confidence. Um, it takes a lot of confidence. And like, just being confident in who you are. You know what I mean? Because realness, the idea of realness, or like passing is in the eye of the beholder. And it's like understanding that like deeply. Like, I don't care what you have to say or what you think, but I'm letting you know that me standing next to this one, whatever their gender identity is, you don't know what's going on here. I'm telling you. It's a lot of confidence. Because, you know, it's in the beginning Like, I may think they actually are more passable than me for the gender, respective gender classification that they're walking in. But that's not, that's not why I'm here to litigate that with you. The judges will. But I'm going to show them that I am realer than you. So it's just a, like like you know I'm really confident and I just like 
I'm really good with like <laughs> like performing that. So I think that's why like it's like really you know. It was, I've been like in, I've been, like you know, in my life, like I just know that for me, like in my life, like I've been in many situations where like people did not know I was trans, so like that like helps me perform it because I'm like, I know like when I'm like in Greece and like I meet this guy and he takes me to the wedding, I know he didn't know I was trans, <laughs> you know, um, so it helps me tap into that category. Yeah. What are the other categories you've walked? I've walked face before. I've walked one time. I walked phases once. Um, I've walked realness. I've rolled as a performance, female figure performance. Big pain. I've walked runway. Yeah. You mentioned you went to college. Yeah. Where did you go? I went to I went to Marist College initially, and then I went to City College, um, and I, I stopped. I didn't finish. What did you do after college? Um, after college, I basically the reason why I stopped going to college because I was like transitioning. I had a really bad experience on campus. It wasn't, you know, what the funny thing is, it just like really played in my head, and like I was going through a lot at, also at the time. But like my school, believe it or not, because like I transitioned at a time, like we are at a different place today than we were three years ago, right, <laughs> or four years ago. Five years ago, so every year, like it was like a totally different place. Um, I trans- I feel like when I started transitioning, it was like we were not where we are today. Um, however, like I never had any issues with any students on campus. I never even felt like they looked funny. At, look, looked at me funny. I actually transitioned in my class, like during the semester. Like came there one day, next one way, next day. Hey. Don't call me that anymore. Call me this. Okay. It was like a really like unbelievably easy experience. Like I was like really shocked. Now I was like, it was just like janitor. Of course it would be a janitor. <laughs> he like gave shade to me and it like threw me off. Like, cause I was just like really threw me off and made me really insecure. But that was just like one of the reasons why I just like, was like, oh, if I bump into him again, like, is he going to embarrass me again? And then um, I just was going through some like housing issues with my family, like, and I basically needed a job, and I couldn't go to school. And like it seemed like every time I would go back into school, I would go get into a housing situation, and I got offered a job at like an organization, and we were paying like more than like when you work in a community-based organization, you get paid more than. Would it, I would get paid if I worked at Macy's or something like that. Enough to sustain. So it's like, you know, like my li- livelihood is very important to me. So I, you know, just took the job. What kind of work have you done? Um, I've worked, like, I would say considered, like, the work generally is, like, like advocacy, active advocacy work, uh, uh, sexual health advocacy, sexual health education, sexual health research, um, trans advocacy, trans activism, um, community engagement um, type of work. What are your favorite jobs that you have? Public speaking, like just like those, like when I've been to colleges and I spoke, um, so like that's what I do best. Yeah. But I, I don't know, there's like, a, just a, like a, I don't know, it's like that's what I do best. 
So when I'm like talking to people, share my opinion, share my experiences, that um, it brings me joy. But I can see like with the like relatability that I have with like an audience, and um, it's just like the best experience that I've had. And I get to travel, experience, you know, like people treat me like uh, like lovely, take me to dinner, <laughs> like all these things. So it's just like the most affirming experiences. And your jobs, did you move around between different agencies, different organizations? Yeah, so I've worked at Holland United, I've worked at Callan Lord, I've worked at Destination Tomorrow. Um, I took time out of that work. Um, so currently, like, I'm employed for Uber Technologies, and I just, like, work in their Greenlight Hub, which has nothing to do with, like, none of the stuff I just talked about. But that was just, like, me, like, trying to do something different. And now I'm going back to like more um, community LGBT community like professional work. And why didn't those agencies? Do you know why didn't they keep you for permanent work? Oh, I left. Yeah. Why? Oh, so I <laughs> so I left Harlem United because um, Harlem United was like ripping people off. Honestly, with like the pay, they were paying us really low. Callum were like Holly United. Firstly, when I was offered the position there, they gave they offered me thirty one thousand dollars a year. This was a, a few years ago, so it wasn't bad. Like this was not like the cost of living was not worth that today. This was I was probably like twenty two, um, and you know I was fine with that. That was like my first like salary job. I was like I could do that, but then when I like started working, I realized that I was getting paid twenty eight thousand a year. So then I told them about it, and I didn't know that I should have signed a contract with, like, with all that stuff. I never signed a contract. They jet me. So I said to myself, the first train smoking out of here, I'm out. But luckily, like, Kyle and Laura, like, like it was, like, to me, like, it was, like, such a more, it was more pay. It was more, it was, like, for me, a more established trans program. Um, they had a lot of internal turmoil going on with the organization that I just did not want to be a part of. Can you wake up next day and you don't have a job because the whole organization is closed because they're going through scandals and stuff like that. So I left them. Callum Lord, I left because um, I needed to take time for me. I got really triggered by a lot of like the interactions I was having with like some of the patients. Also triggered by like some of the... Um, some of the inequity that goes on in LGBT community, I feel like when you work in an LGBTQ space, sometimes you see it. You see it more than if you just like are in the community, like how discrimination is just like rampant within our own community on the basis of gender, on the basis of sex and race. Um, so um, with that being said, I was like, you know what? I'm going to take like, like stop working here before I explode uh, as an individual. Because I felt like I wasn't doing effective work. Tell us about that inequity. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, like the, like when they would do chart reviews, they would notice that you know, white patients are being um, offered more sexual health screenings than black patients. However, data shows that black patients are more at risk in terms of like, you know, the, the rates of infection, stuff like that. So I just, like, that doesn't make sense. 
Um, also, the way they respond to certain trans women who were like, you know, like a black trans woman, she commented, she's angry. They're calling security. They're making it like a big thing. But like, uh, like the white trans woman is like angry. It's like, you know, not taken. Like th- things like that. Um, and the one thing that really broke, like really made me make the decision was, I noticed that every time we do case conferences about like, patients who are in like need of intensive intervention, they were always trans and of color. So I was just like, I don't understand how come our like um, like strategies are not centered around these groups of people, being that they're the, our most at risk. And it was just like, it was just like, that was just like something I expressed in a meeting and then like the next week, another trans of color like dying or something like that. And I was just, I walked out the meeting and I wrote my letter of resignation. I was on the market. Because I was like, I, I'm not gonna do this. So now I'm entering back on a research capacity. I don't, so I don't want to do like services. I don't do the services for me. But research, collecting data, hey, and like, um, I think that I can have an impact on like informing care with data. Um, and I think that that's gonna be um, just instrumental for my growth where I foresee myself being uh, in my position in the community at large. And you've had housing difficulties over time? Yeah, oh, but we, I, I just wanna say, honestly, to be very honest, in my whole adult life, I'm, like I never really was like stable until now. <laughs> I just moved in like two months ago. What have you gone through? Um, like, like my mother always has her home open, but it seems like when I go there, there's always a, a issue, and then I always end up leaving in a like a, a nasty way. So I've never been like homeless, meaning like I didn't have nowhere to go. But you know, I've been like at friends' houses or like renting rooms, stuff like that. Um, so this is like the first time in my adult life where like I have my own. I have a roommate, but it's our place. You know what I mean? Like we're building the place together. So this is like me moving into your place. Um, yeah, I've been going through that. Oh, yeah. So I don't know what it's like to have like a home, really, besides like my mother's home. So like this is like very new to me. Um, but it was kind of like it was so normal to me that I really never seen it as like a. It was like I never had nowhere to go, so like I'm blessed for that. But of course, like you want to be comfortable in your own space, and I'm glad I have that now. I'm grateful. I um, I, I, there are a lot of trans women in the ball scene mm-hmm. and coming out of the ball scene. Uh, what 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 kind of supports or what enables women to transition or come out from the ball scene? Um, I think that. The um, the conversation that we have and performance around gender um, is what basically gives people the um, power to transition and take the power over their lives. I feel like a lot of people um, may want to experience those things or may want to attempt to, uh, you know, have the thoughts and like want to live those truths out, but don't have the support. I think that in the ballroom scene, uh, you know, being trans is like not the worst thing. It's not a bad thing at all. 
So it's like you have that support. And then, you know, for some people, it can be a bad thing. You know, like there are issues that we have in the world scene around like misogyny, trans misogyny, um, also, you know, just sexism, um, internalized homophobia and transphobia. So um, it's not easy, but I think it's like supported. You know what I mean? There's so many trans women and in our categories, like, you know, you get fantasy. So it's like you get to play and be whoever you want to be. So. I think that it's just an environment that's supportive of people being who they are authentically, right? Or even trying to be something that they want to be. It doesn't even have to be who you feel like you are. Do women help each other out with hormones or work or money? Or yeah, it's like like I said, like there's like the family aspect, you know, like I'm providing people with a space. Like we we always do a Thanksgiving dinner with my house. So it's not like a trans-specific thing, but you know, some people don't have family. A lot of people move to New York, especially in our community, when like New York is an escape. So it's like they don't have family. They can't go back home. We always have a Thanksgiving dinner just to, um, but sometimes it's like in February, like it, it comes. <laughs> it comes, it's every year, but it comes eventually. Um, and we just like do that because we know like, these are things we grew up on, right? Like. Unless that, like, like for example, I always, I was saying like to my therapist, like I was sold a Cinderella story when I was little. I watched Cinderella. That is not my story. That I don't think that will be my story, and that is okay. But don't be surprised that I have some issues with that not being my story. Like I go through some things because, like, I don't live in a house with a white picket fence. I don't have a husband. I don't have children. I don't. Like, you know, I don't have that. So I think that we can try to create, like, some, you know, um, some spaces where, like, the, the institution of the family is, um, is so that people can have that experience that they want, at least even if it's a touch of it. You know, you may, it may not be from who you want it from, but at least you have someone. You're not lonely on like those holidays that could be very triggering and um, you know, make you feel even more lonely when everyone's out is with their families and stuff like that. Um, tell me about being a part of the movie Kiki and what that was like. So Kiki, it was like a really, um, it was interesting. Um, it was like uh, I, initially, like I didn't know what that was gonna be for me. Um, I didn't know what was it gonna do, like what was the role of it. Honestly, until like we went to Sundance, I thought we were just like record. I didn't think it was anything serious or like once they said we we're going to Sundance, I'm like what? Like literally when they told us, which was like two weeks before we were going, so I didn't know it was like a big. I thought it was just like we were doing something, right? Um, it allowed me um, to just like you know look at my life, document like some of like some low points, uh, also some high points, right? And also just see like how great I am. Um, I've had gotten so many opportunities out of like just being there, like traveling the country and the world, like speaking, um, and in conversation with the film 
and the people who are coming to see the film. Um, I think that it was necessary work, um, that the story of the Kiki scene, you know, Paris is Burning talks about the ballroom scene, right? But the Kiki scene is different. And I think that um, it needed to be told because I think that it's, it's, discusses the here and now, right? Where, where, where our community has come. Such an impactful film like Paris is Burning. It's like, it needs, like, where are we, like, 30 years later, where are they? Where, where, where is this community that people are so interested in? Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I really, like when I think about it, I think, and like this is you, this is like, so I like, this is like, so don't even think funny of this, but, or don't think anything weird about what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it. So basically, like, I remember like this, these boys did a documentary, and like, it was like a big documentary, and like he got killed or something like that, and it was like, oh, first, like they wrote a news article about him, and they mentioned that he was in the documentary. I don't plan to get killed or anything, but I just mean like, at the very least, I will never be forgotten. So like that's what I mean. Like I won't like I left. I have something to contribute to the world. Like my like my story is like a, a documented contribution to the world. And when I pass and go on, I will be remembered as a person who was a part of that. You mentioned you've had uh, friends in the house of Juicy who passed away. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about them? Yeah. Oh, I would love to actually. So, um, my friend Miami, um, she her birthday just passed. She was my sister. Um, the um, she was like she was the person who actually brought the family aspect. A lot of houses are missing that family aspect. And she really brought that spouse of Juicy. She was one of the people who like came from other another place. And I felt like I don't really know her story. That's the funny part, is because when she died, it seemed like she's always say, This is my sister. But when she died, it seemed like the people she said was her sisters, like they were not her sisters. She was a very family-oriented person. Um, and she just taught me the selflessness. Like in spite of it all, in spite of in spite of anything, like selfless. Like, I remember one time, we were young, and my boots broke. And I wore these boots all the time. They were fab boots. They were, I love dominatrix boots. Like, you know, go-go, go-go boy boots. Like, like they, like, they go-go dancers, they wear, they like, patent leather. I used to buy those boots from the sex shop and wear them. Like, with my outfits and stuff. These were some bad boots, and they would lace up to the knee, and they would be patent leather with buckles. Oh. And they, I wore them every day though, because I spent a lot of money on them. So I'm like, I'm gonna wear them, and they broke. And like, she gave me sneakers, like selfless, like selfless, really selfless. Um, just a genuine, truly genuine person, and someone who taught me the meaning of really appreciating people who may not be blood related, but are your, in fact, your family. Um, she is definitely one of the most impactful people in my life. Died so young, like, yeah, just, it's, I was thinking about that the other day, it's like crazy, like, it's been like, 
seven years. It was like crazy. But, um, also, Alon Nettles, she was in a house. I don't know if you know her story. Alon, the, the reason why I said it like that is because it was like a big thing in New York. You're not, um, <laughs> sorry. In New York, like a few years ago, can I ask you questions? Like, this? okay, if I say, yeah. yeah. When did you come to New York? I moved here in 2004. So I'm surprised you know you. So you remember the trans girl who was killed in Harlem? Mm-hmm. Ilan Meadows. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You probably. Yeah. So basically, she was in our house as well, uh, and she, um, she, she was quiet. Like she was, she was Courtney, who was like the founder of the house. He was really close with her. Um, she was in our house, and you know, we had a relationship through the house. And basically, like, when she passed away, I feel like it was, like, a lot. It was, like, like, it was, like, a scary time, you know, for, like, to be, like, young and trans and, like, like, just existing in the world. And I think that basically, um, it's so funny because I feel like, like, her being, like, the martyr for that, I, 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 I say this to the day. I don't think she would have ever wanted that based off of how I knew the person I knew. You know what I mean? Like, like the trans girl. Like, I don't think that that's like something she would have wanted. She wasn't really big in like the whole, like, she was very to herself. Um, and it's like unfortunate that like, it's unfortunate, but it provided exposure. Like, I don't think she could have, she didn't benefit from it. But it like definitely provided exposure and the conversation I'm pretty sure that like, extended outside of the trans community, um, like what happened to her. And um uh we had a lot of people pass away. Um Shawnee. Shawnee, um yeah, I don't wanna talk about him, but he he was in the house as well. And then we had um, Varsity. Varsity was like the sweetest, like, oh, Varsity was so sweet. He was from, he was another person from like another place. Came here the sweetest, 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 sweetest. I swear, just so sweet, adorable. I miss him. So I really didn't have many interactions with him, but just the interaction I did have was so loving and sweet. And, um, he was a beautiful soul, like his presence, like everyone who I'm saying, like they just had beauty, like they had a vibe. Um, and Varsity, he was a good performer, like really, really good performer and dancer. And he was like really, really good. And then like the funny, like the funny part is like it's a family. So basically, like I'm gonna tell you a story. Varsity was like walking a ball, and they chopped him because. They were trying to say, like, he wasn't. You had to be a part of the Kiki scene in order to walk, and they were trying to say he wasn't. He never walked before. So I was, like, drunk. And I started going off. Like, no, no. I didn't even really know him like that, but he's a juicy family. So I started going off. Like, no, 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 no. You don't even know what you're talking about. This is, I was like, you don't even come to balls to make this decision. He's walked this well. Like, I'm going off. And I ended up having a fight with my best friend, like one of my best friends because of that. 
Lord, like to make the long story short, but like Bar- like he was just so sweet that I just like had to advocate for him. Like he was sweet. He he passed the most recently. Um, yeah, good people. You mentioned that things are really different than they were five years ago or four years ago, three years ago for trans people, right. trans women. What are some of the ways that you see things changing? I think more visibility. I think people are like, I think like five years ago, it was like more of a focus on like hiding who you were. Like, and now it's like being open, unapologetic. Like, you know, I am who I am. Instead of like the whole like stealth narrative, I don't even hear that anymore. Like not in my circles. Like I don't really even hear the conversations of that. That's not a goal. For some of my friends, but none of my friends, like we want to be out and proud and, you know, yes, we do want to live comfortably and also like we don't want every conversation to be centered around us being trans, but like at the same time, we want to be able to control like when our information is given out, but we want, we don't have problems having those conversations. Um, And I think that, you know, whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever path you decide to live, live it. But I know that uh, being really like having a conversation with yourself about who you are, being loved for who you are by the people around you is like a beautiful feeling. And I couldn't see myself being around people who did not know who I actually was and loving me, but not loving me for all parts of me. Um, and I, I don't know if pity is like the word, but I have, um, I pity like trans people who have to go through it. Anybody, like not just trans people, anybody who are hiding things. And it's just like, I thought you should just be, you could, like, I would like to think that if you can't love me because I, I'm me, then like, don't love me. You know, it's easier said than done. <laughs> acknowledge it no one likes rejection no one wants to be viewed as an outcast so it's like safety right not just like from physical harm just safety to be able to exist comfortably some people choose that over like the the fight and um and some people don't have a choice <laughs> so um i think that these are this is where we are today having these conversations right it's it's like you having portrayals on TV, you know, positive portrayals, um, real narratives, right? Not just Jerry Springer, not even is it a boy or a girl, or Maury. If I seen that today, like Jerry Springer still has their shows, which I don't even know. Like Jerry Springer, like, <laughs> he's wild. I'm sorry, I can't believe him. It's like. I didn't even know it still was on, but we were still on. They got my phone, and I cursed them out. I don't know how they got my number. I know how they got my number. I don't want to say. <laughs> I know how they got my number. They called my phone, and I cursed them out. And they really was having a conversation with me. I was like, the way you portray trans women on your show and for you to call my phone, for you to get my number from where you got it from and then call my phone and interrupt what I got going on to ask me to come on your show. I said, okay, you're going to pay me. We're going to be a side fan. What you going to do? No, we're going to fight about all the expensive things you. That's not enough to make a fool out of myself. 
please. Yeah, this is where the conversation is today. It's like, and I, I do think that, like, you know, what I was saying to people, and I think that we need to have this conversation. You know, like, I hate when they count the deaths. I don't like when they count them. I don't like that. When they count the deaths of trans women, I don't like, it's triggering. I don't like that. And I, and I also think it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's intellectually dishonest in a way because I feel that, yes, 24 people may have died this year, right? But in 1960, we were not having that conversation. We weren't even, there was no value to even count those people. They didn't even deem it important enough to count. And we didn't even have the agency within our own communities to like have like a count or, or, you know what I mean? So I think it's like like a little bit dishonest. Like we don't know how many trans people died these years and those years. So it's something that is misleading that just because 60 died this year, that does not mean that the times for trans people are worse today. Loretta Lynch, this is one of the, honestly, this is one of the, like, I'm not a patriotic person. I don't, like, I'm not, like, America. I don't know what patriot, I don't know what that feels like because I have a really conflicted feelings with that. But when Loretta Lynch got on the TV that time and talked, to, when she said specifically, said trans people, we see you, we hear you. When she said that, like, the goosebumps went from my gut to the universe. Like, it was just like, I can't take this right now. Because I, like, it was just like, that's where we are today. Like, you know what I mean? And um, I just wanted to just keep getting better. Was there anything that you wanted, wanted to say or want to say that you haven't had a chance to? Um, about me, so I am a work in progress. Um, I am not perfect, and I think that, and I, I hate, I don't hate, but I, I can see why people, like, look up to me. I want them to also look up to the bad parts of me, because I am not perfect, and I have a lot of work to do. Um... But I have great intentions. Um, I always put, I always try to assert, have assertive relationships where both needs of individuals are met. And I think that like, even on like a larger level, that just brings more understanding and acceptance and all the things that people, a lot of things that people desire. Um, and I just want to, you know, just continue to like, you know, participate and like, you know, the public discourse around trans life and its normalcy and how, you know, you know, it's not always like, it's not always bad. You know what I mean? Like, it's not always like the worst, you know, it's not, it's not. I think I'm a, like, you know, I've been through a lot, like, you know, like, you know, but I, I, I wouldn't trade, <laughs> I wouldn't trade. I've been through a lot, but I wouldn't trade, but then I also say like, you know, like, you know, it's not always like this, like, like dark story. And I want, I want just more stories, like light, you know, you know, more stories of light. 
of all stories they show. You know, like, love stories. Not, not, nothing. I'm sick of the ones that you gotta. He gotta figure. Fuck him or her. Figure it out on your own. Not in my story. Tell the story when you're loving me and you're going to Paris and doing. You know, I want to see that. I think that that will like that's when like that's like the next step we need to go. More space, more inclusivity. If we allies, it's not, and people say they're allies, and you know the people, it kills me when people be like, oh, I'm not homophobic, and then they delete, they say I'm not homophobic, I'm not transphobic, or I don't, I don't have no problem, no, that was it, I don't have no problem with gay people, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have no problem with gay people, but. Shut up right there. But Dwayne Wade shouldn't be um, letting his son do that. That, first of all, one, I could say, like, I'm a fan of Dwayne Wade. Like, I think that, like, it's, like, shocking. And that's where we are today, that a black famous man could, like, unapologetically and his wife can support their child. And like being gay is not like a sexual thing, right? And it's so funny because you see all the arguments. I don't argue with people on social media, but it's like, they're like, oh, you shouldn't teach a child to be gay. I'm like, when your little son says he has a girlfriend, it's the same thing. Like, I'm pretty sure they're not like, go go have sex with guys. I'm pretty sure they're not doing that. That's a little boy. He probably just likes boys and he's honest about it. And the thing is, is like, I was having a conversation with this man because I was in an Uber having a conversation with a girl and he jumped in on our conversation. And I was like, you know, what would you rather your son being a great gay man, right? Or a not so great man that doesn't know who he is? Those are the choices. <laughs> right? I said, the thing is, is that you can't teach your son how to be any type of man because you and your son are not the same man. But what you can do is lead by example of, like, what he can use as a reference. And you can hopefully hope that he takes what you showed him and apply it. But would you rather, like, not love your son and let him be the greatest gay man that he could be or you want to not love your son and then watch him suffer that's it thank you <laughs> this was wonderful yes thank you thank you i enjoyed it how are you yeah yeah yeah